if somebody is having suicidal ideation, it's part of the awakening process because it's the end of a life, of the ego's life, and the beginning of the return to our true nature. So suicidal ideation is the system saying, yes, there's a death and there's a desire to die, but not to the body. Hi, my name is Aggie and this is Biohacking Bestie. the one-stop shop for a modern queen where you can find biohacking courses, self-growth courses, and where you can find the most incredible community of women so you can hit all of your biohacking goals and beyond. Adriana, thank you so much for joining. There we have proper backstory because I have been looking for a coach, therapist, you name it, and I couldn't find anybody because everyone was basically perpetuating my victimhood and making me feel good about myself and you know saying oh people are bad and you're great and you were the first person that started working with that has helped me understand there's so much more to life and how much i can grow so once i went past by hacking my body ever is there's like a whole world of spirituality of so many things i didn't even understood even though i consider myself somewhat spiritual so my first question to you is you work with people every day that suffer on many levels, right? My first question to you is, why do we suffer and what do we suffer about? What makes us suffer? It's a good question, Aggie, and thank you for having me. Um, well, we suffer because we're not being who we really are. That's the core answer to your question is as simple as that. We've severed the connection to our source, which is the universe, totality, the, the whole. We are an organism, cosmic organism, and we've severed our connection to that organism and we've created a separate sense of self, a separate identity. And we use our energy to support and feed that separate identity, moving us further and further and further away from what we call source point or true nature. So the further away we move from this alignment to our true nature, the less authentic we are, the less free we are, and the more in our mind we are to try to be a character, to be liked, to be loved, to be valued, to be validated, to be successful, to be praised, etc. So our energy becomes wrapped up in the getting of these essences instead of being who we really are, where these essences can tap, be tapped into directly inside of ourselves. Why is it so hard to be yourself then? Like, if you think that, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world, just be yourself. This is what we keep hearing, right? Well, the challenge is that we don't know what being ourselves is. We already disconnected ourselves from that essential experience. So the yourself that we know is the false self, the adaptational personality that we created through time to be liked, to be loved, to be valued, to get this and that in the outer world. So most of us humans don't even have, like we do have a cellular memory of that in deep, deep, deep in our deep psyche, but we do not have a fresh connection to what be yourself means because being yourself means the dissolution of ego identities and the merging with totality to be pure presence. Yes, to be a channel of what the universe at that moment is moving through you. So we, like, yes. we think of ourselves as the false self. So many spiritual teachings and you know nice memes on instagram or tell you be yourself but the immediate yourself is still the system of egoic identity structures that we normally call personality 
or false self. And so true, because for me as well, like I thought it was like, okay, this is brainwash of the society. I'm going to be myself. And in reality, I'm just a reaction of what I think I didn't want to be, right? So instead of being like sitting still, and um, my next question to you is how to actually, how do we find out what true self is? But I would often be like, okay, I react. And like you said, like the pendulum, like, okay, I don't want to be that. So I'm going to be the exact opposite just because I thought that society told me to be hot and successful. So I'm just, my entire new personality is going to build around denying that or just, you know, being the opposite without actually realizing what is my true source, if that makes sense. And my true, and that's like the hardest thing in the world. Like, like, where do we start? Well, the first starting point, if we call it that way, is to become aware that the I that I know to be me is not the real me. It's the first direct step of the process of deconstruction. So you asked me a couple of seconds ago, how do we arrive or move towards who we really are or what we really are? It is a process of active deconstruction of what we are not, because what we are is already there. It's always been there. It's just buried. So, and you've heard me say this in, in our sessions, that this process is a process of psychic archaeology. It's a process of starting to, you know, taking a toothbrush, and sometimes it's not as gentle as a toothbrush, but to start cleaning the or, or deactivating and dismantling the layers of the false self or the not self or the personality matrix that is an adaptation to society, to father, mother, world, society, others, you know, instead of the real us. But the real us, we don't need to get to it. It's there. It's you. It's the you that wants to experience life directly, that wants to express itself authentically. And when I say express yourself authentically and freely, it means without the distortions of guilt, anger, fear, desire to be seen, desire to be loved, desire, because all these create distortions in our behavior. Yeah, it's so true. I still wonder if there's anything that I do from, straight from my core authentic self, or is it just a reaction from feeling guilty or feeling like my ego is wanting me to to be liked, right? Like if it's the underlying motive and what I work with you, this is like the core of our work together is like, did I do it because I felt like this is my truest expression or did I do it because I felt like this is going to be liked? Even the podcast itself, like, Am I doing it because I want to share like the, you know, the knowledge with people? Do I do it because I feel like I want to prove to others that I'm smart? Do I want to connect with other smart people? Because I personally don't think like I'm super smart. So I need to connect with more because these people have what I don't have. Right. And it's just like the so many valid questions. And if I was like truly honest with myself, I would probably say like, yeah, there's a part of me that doesn't feel smart. And I want to do this podcast because I want to invite smart people to become smarter as if that would have been in a way better. My next question to you would be like, how do you even recognize the voice in our head or the intention in our psyche or whether it's coming from ego or, or whether it's coming from higher self, right? What is that intention? It's a great question. And lots of people actually get, or we all get kind of lost in, is it this or that? Is it this or that? That cannot be resolved at the mental level. Because it, a mind that is disconnected from body cannot access vibration. If we do not access vibration, which is our body is the vehicle to navigate through vibration, it's telling us what feels aligned and what feels misaligned. So if the question is, stays at the level of mind, it's a never ending. Is it this or that? Is it this or that? Because we're not finding the resonance component, which is the vibrational 
barometer or, or thermometer of our reality. So we, that is why embodiment practices are key to transformation. If we do not merge consciously our mind with our body and start connecting to the subtleties of our energy body and how our body speaks at the subtlest level, we cannot do this work or we can try to do this work, but end up looping at the mental level because the mind needs to come to the body and listen to what the body, vibrational body, is saying. And then you can get the question, this feels aligned, this feels misaligned. It's not that it's this or that, because I see that there's a very tricky thing happening in the spiritual community, which is if it's, is this ego or higher self or soul, it can kind of tap into the, is this good or bad or right and wrong? And that is the 80 components that we're here to dismantle through the work. Yeah. So explain why can't we just say like, this is bad, this is good. You know, she's evil. He He's a good boy, whatever it might be. Well, you can, but then you're trapped in judgment. If you position yourself, if you stand in a place where you are the judger and saying this is right and this is wrong, well, first you're closing your heart. Then you're pretending to be God or, you know, a higher authority saying who is this or that or what is right and wrong without knowing that maybe at the higher level of how the universe is playing out its game, it's part of the roles everyone's playing. So we cannot judge. And we and that is our biggest trap. The ego lives and feeds itself off judgment. You know, we go out to the streets and we start saying, you know, like your butt's nice, your tits are nice, or your hair is this, or your car is this, or whatever it is, silently, not even a verbal externalized judgment. Most of ego activity, or meaning the mental activity of ego mind, is judgment. Well, we can so like, oh, this person is more spiritual or whatever it might be, right? So there's like never ending judgment doesn't have to be based on the looks, but it could be based on, you know, mental, right? Like, oh, it's well, because oh, I meditate 40 minutes longer than you do, so I'm more spiritual, right? In a way. Well, actually, you would be being much less spiritual because you're already comparing yourself, thinking that someone can be more spiritual than another. And that is not true. We are all spiritual beings having a experience of matter in matter so that belief in itself falls you know in many ways not not only because it's a judgment and it creates comparison and you're positioning yourself above somebody else that is making you so not spiritual meaning not present in the heart and what actually one of the great things that you actually pointed out for me i was because you know i used to think okay cool like I got into biohacking, got the hot body. I was like, now I'm like, I really feel like there's something deeper. I'm going to go into spirituality. And somehow I denied my relationship with my body because I was like, well, body is, you know, worldly. So I want to focus on my soul and my brain and, you know, body. And then I sit down with you and you're like, okay, how do you feel in your body? I'm like, I thought body was not important. I thought it was like too worldly. And you have helped me build the most amazing relationship with my body and actually helping me explain that I live so much here and even my transformation biohacking is from here, from my, obviously it's a podcast, I should actually say from here as in from my head and very little change in my mind came from like this gut feeling because I felt like something didn't feel right. Like a conversation with a stranger didn't feel right, but it didn't matter because it was, you know, mom said it's okay or like he was famous or he was rich or I shouldn't be, my friends like him or whatever it might be at all that external validation of that person and way meant way more to me than actually what I felt, right? And I, I spent my entire life 
being completely disconnected what feels right what doesn't feel right because growing up i love my parents but you know it doesn't matter how you feel this is the right thing to do whatever the right thing is and there is a tricky thing happening there because we're now in this era of fitness and body and you know being fit and i respect everything you do around the biohacking but it can still be at the very mental egoic sphere so there is no direct connection with the resonance component so you can have well, beautiful breasts and beautiful butt and a beaut and a flat belly and and flawless skin, but you're still not in tune with the deeper aspects of your body. So just because we're working out and having, you know, a more direct connection with our body doesn't necessarily mean that we're listening to the guidance of the body. And that is the core of the reconnection of the mind to the body, meaning consciousness in the present moment. And I think what has helped me, I think I've been out sort of saying my well-being to mm-hmm. and not to say that medicine is bad, but it was the first time when I got into biohacking that I was like, oh, well, like two and two adds up and it's science and there's still something deeper than that. And I think one of the many reasons I wanted to invite you is to realize that A, the intention behind why you biohack and why you change your you know, work on your body because it's like I, my intention might be so much hate and I just want to look hot. And that's the only reason I'm biohacking because I'm trying to get to a certain level and I'm still not going to love myself. But I can uh, biohack from a place of like, wow, I just want to have this strong vehicle to get me through all the, the, you know, whatever the mission I have or like out of respect to my body. That's one. And second, biohacking in terms of just like that was like the first introduction for me to like taking responsibility to listening to my body and then realizing that I'm very different than other people and that like taking ownership back of what that means to me just in general, right? Like that no one will know better than I do in a way and just paying attention, right? And at the beginning, the the body was screaming very loudly, you know, losing hair, you know, skin was like on fire. And then as you pointed out, it's starting to speak very gently, right? And if I ignore that voice, it's going to start talking louder and louder. There is an important thing in like what you mentioned, which is the relationship with the body, because sometimes we think that we're taking care of our body when we're actually not, because the underlying motivation, as you mentioned, which is where we want to take the inquiry of the spiritual process is what is my underlying motivation for doing this and, and that? So you can have a beautiful body, but then the underlying motivation is vanity and the underlying motivation of the vanity is fear of I'm not being seen, I want to be long, I feel ugly, so I need to compensate with wanting to be beautiful in order to attract love or attract sexual attention. So we've got to go to the deeper questions of the underlying motivation. And then, then connected to the body, am I coming from a, a place of authentic caring, like almost like you do a baby? Like, am I really caring for this beautiful sacred vehicle or am I just doing these things for it to be aesthetically beautiful to get the attention of others or to get praise or to get or to feel beautiful, to compensate my deep feeling of being ugly or unwanted or undesirable? How can we recognize that voice in our body, that intuition or the gut feeling? People have named it many different ways, but this is the difference between our ego that lives in our head and that gut feeling that, you know, the soul that's speaking to us and is very body driven instead of head driven. So how would you describe our like the first signs of like, oh, wow, that might be the voice I've been ignoring for all this time? I wouldn't say it's a voice. I would say it's a feeling because when you speak voice, you are still feeling mental. 
And it's more like a sensation. It's an energetic sensation. It's resonance. You feel a cellular yes, but it's not a voice saying yes, let's do it. Eventually, it will translate into a thought aligned to that sensation if we hear it. But the first connection to it is a vibrational resonance of like a uh-huh, uh-uh, of our deep being, of ourselves, of our... And it sometimes feels expansive or peaceful or there's a tranquility to connecting to our deeper knowing that even if it's needing to take a decision that is challenging, like breaking up or changing a job, there is a deeper layer of peace underneath all of the emotional havoc that a change in a situation can trigger. There is a deep knowing of yeah, it's a serenity, but it's not a rational knowing. That's why the body is important and the feeling function to reconnect to feeling. Beautiful. Like there's a part of me that like probably imagine people start to work with you and they expect to have a session and come in because, you know, they're trying to get over a breakup or they're trying to break up with somebody. They show up and you start sharing what you believe in and they're like, oh, but I'm not spiritual. Right. And where's the point where people see that regardless of whether you are spiritual or how spiritual you are, whatever the story we tell ourselves, that people start to resonate with your teachings and realize that, oh, sh she actually has a point that I haven't been able to find anywhere else. Because this is not about spiritual identity or spiritual practice or spiritual or a religion or a... this is about reconnecting to what is essentially true in our deep being. So. Well, you can be a Buddhist or you can be a what like a Christian, yes, no. yes, yes. but we are all going through the same process, which is that we are unconsciously looking for a deep nature or true nature in the outer world, in the physical realm. So we're all suffering because we're lost. So it doesn't really matter. And that's why for me, the psycho-spiritual component is important because when you understand the development of our psychology and how we start creating this false personality matrix in order to belong, to be liked, to fit in, to survive, to, to be, you know, to not get bullied, to not get rejected. Everyone has that regardless of their spiritual practice. So it doesn't really matter that I think that there's lots of spiritual ego in the community and around I'm spiritual. You're not everyone's spiritual. We are an energy body experiencing matter and we all have very similar dilemmas around existing in matter and wanting to connect to the divine. But the divine is not up and out there in some, you know, all the teachings have lots of truth in them. But it's not if we're looking for a God outside of ourselves, we're always going to be lost. If we're looking for God within us and keep on digging in, we connect to that part of us that is divinity, this fractal and fragment of the totality that contains the totality or reflects the totality. So it doesn't really matter. And I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly. Or I, oh, no, I, think interesting. I think it's like, because what seems to be like there, we, we are born, right? We're born perfect. And then there is this somehow a taught idea that we are unlovable, that we're not enough, that we're not doing enough, whatever, pretty enough, smart enough, whatever it might be, that we you know, and we have a lot of like trauma in childhood and it's not necessarily because our parents were bad or wrong or whatever the, they were perfect the way they were, except we as children sometimes interpret certain situations as such. And we create a certain story about ourselves, about the world, depending on what country we grew up in, family we grew up in. 
And then we sort of play the ego game, right? So we get a job, try to get Instagram followers, get the money, whatever it might be. And some of us are lucky enough to get that and realize that that's not the solution. And some of us will maybe not have this realization early enough, right? And I think it's like when it comes to like a burnout, it's it's almost like a gift because you realize I'm like, oh shit, like thank God I realized I, I didn't spend my whole life chasing that. And I'm slowly realizing this is not it. But awareness is only one step of it, right? It's just like now having enough belief to make the leap and build your life around. Not things like that are ego related, but the ones that are true to the soul, right? And what would those... Yeah, but you know something, there is a perfection in the way things play out. And first, I would like to rephrase something that you said, like the we are born perfect. Well, everything is perfect from the lens of the divine, even if it's flawed from our human lens. But we are born already with distortions because we're born with a karmic lesson to learn. We are born with genetic distortions that are coming down through our lineages. So yes, a baby is the closest to source. It's come out of the womb and it's precious and distorted, but it's at the genetic code. It already has the, we could call it deviations or genetic distortions, meaning information or belief systems that are not necessarily aligned to universal consciousness. So it's like a yes and no. Yes, we are born perfect and everything's perfect. And and as soon as we come out of the womb, we are fresh and we irradiate the light and the love of truth. But that baby still will get, you know, it's not all about the societal impositions. That baby already carries some information that he or she is here to grow through at the genetic level. It's already encoded in our genes. And as um, women, it's a big one because I think we carry it like in, you know, for me, for example, being Polish, there's a big, like even like generational trauma through war after war after war. There's one for women, right? Like being suppressed on so many levels that I definitely carry within me, right? Then we share that trauma as women throughout history in a way, right? Like, and sometimes you can... Like, because in this incarnation, you're choosing to be a woman, but maybe in another incarnation, you were an abusive man. So it's really important to not get, we can easily fall in the victimization aspect of, you know, I'm a woman and we've been abused throughout history. Well, yes, we do carry those codes, but we also carry the codes of being abusers and, and being, you know, we've played light and shadow through many incarnations. So it's also important to kind of not stick to these narratives of, of how hard we've had it or, well, because I think this is the one thing that again like i'm so struggling right because it's like oh i've had it harder because i'm an immigrant whatever the story i tell myself but i have it harder than other people because i'm short <laughs> i've tried to think of all the things that i told myself why my life is harder than others because i don't have a musical year it took me longer to learn english whatever that by like and still perpetuates the victimhood without realizing that i still have it so much easier than other people right depending how you look at it and just like and and again at a higher level Nothing of that is true because we are all choosing an incarnation with specific characteristics to be triggered in a specific way in order to evolve and move closer to our source point. So there is no, I suffer more than you. I'm Yes, some of us are not suffering. You know, our sufferings are different. Some of us are here to grow through scarcity. Some of us are here to grow through abundance. Some of us, and they're suffering anyways. Like, it doesn't mean that because you have money, you don't suffer. That is so not true. I work with a lot of really high-end clients and 
I I want to touch upon actually scarcity and abundance just to like make it clear. A lot of people think like oh scarcity, and you know like if you have a lot of money you don't ever experience scarcity. But scarcity is a state of mind. It's not necessarily a number in your bank account. It's a state of mind. It is a part of the program of the ego programming is the scarcity mindset. Why? Because in, from the ego perspective, since we're disconnected from the eternal infinite source of energy supply of the universe, well, everything's finite. And if everything's finite, resources are finite, love is finite, everything is finite. So we have the, from ego consciousness, the finite understanding of life. But when you retop back into eternal, infinite source of power, energy, love, wisdom, well, there is no finite. So you don't have to fight for to get anything. You're just aligned to everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, I think it's like my abundance doesn't take away your abundance, which I think it's all oh. big, big lies that I believe for forever. Oh, if someone has, is successful, there's no way I can be successful. Like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And that is part of the program that we see in society, right? And then there's the greed component, which is I'm wanting and needing much more than I actually really need. So in the death of the ego, in the in the process of the dissolution of ego layers, there is a process of becoming really basic where, well, you don't want so much. You are fine with what you have. And Yes, of course, there's abundance coming your way. And it's great if you want to buy a car or a nice dress. It doesn't mean that you can't. But it means that the since you've purged the underlying motivations of wanting to be this or wanting to be seen as this, well, your urge to buy and the urge to have is much lesser. You just want to use the person in a very different way. Yeah, because there's a big part of why, you know, cars or homes or whatever is built around how we want to be perceived. We want to be perceived as successful. We want to be perceived as rich, right? Even though sometimes we can't put a, afford certain things. That can be one component, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you want a Mercedes-Benz with a delicious seat that, I don't know, warms your butt in the winter, <laughs> that that is non-spiritual, you know, because yeah. those are also misconceptions. Why not? If it's coming from a place of joy and deliciousness and pleasure and not from I want my neighbors to see that I'm driving a Mercedes so I can be perceived as whatever it is, cool, rich, whatever it is. So it will always come to the underlying energy and the underlying motivations. It's never about the manifestation in the physical. Yeah, oh, so beautiful. So could you talk a little bit about your spiritual journey and how it started for you and how do, did you get to the point that you are uh, right now? Well, I guess many of us arrive into this earth and begin the spiritual journey. I think that the spiritual journey, there are events that trigger our awakening. But I think many of us, especially those of us souls that come to help bring the new earth into manifestation, we don't fit in. Well, we're kind of these weirdos trying to fit into a family, into a school system and getting around. But there's that <laughs> feeling that we don't belong. So that feeling was always present in me, even though, you know, I had friends and a family, but there was always a feeling of, I so not belong. I so, I, I, and I was trying really hard to belong through, by being cool, by getting the sneakers, by, you know, listening to Madonna at the time or what, you know, all these things that you do to try to belong through the different stages of life because the strategies to belong change the different moments of our life but I think there was always this underlying feeling 
And I was a very sensitive soul since I was a very at a very young age. And I was not born in I was born in Fairfax, Virginia, but then we moved to Bogota, Colombia, where my parents were from. And there was always lots of suffering. There is a lot the socioeconomic differences here are very magnified. So there was always this lots of suffering reflected back by society. And also, you know, my family, beautiful humans as well, trying their best. There were all, lots of pain as well. There weren't skills to process emotion. The relationship was an ego relationship where it was, you know, the battle of the egos. So there, I felt lots of pain around my parents' marriage, even though nowadays they have a magnificent relationship by not being, you know, they're not together, but they're like beautiful companions of life. So those were triggers in my childhood while growing, you know, high school and university. And there was always lots of pain around relationships. So relationships and sexuality were a big component to my spiritual awakening. And always the question of like, there's something wrong with me. There's, And I always went there like, there has to be something wrong with me. Everyone seems so happy. And I'm full of these very intense, you know, challenges in my psyche. So I started doing work with a woman. It was psycho-spiritual. Actually, I never, I, I started going to a traditional psychologist and I felt short circuit in two sessions. It felt, I felt tagged. You are codependent. You come from this and that home, da, da, da. So it felt that I didn't have a way out into evolving into, it was like, you're born into that fixed situation forever and it's going to be that forever and you've got to kind of take oh, it. I, I feel that like that was it. Then you reach out to professionals and you're like, oh no, like you make me feel even more like worse for whatever reason. Right. Exactly. And I felt such a discomfort. So eventually life brought to my path a healer and I did lots of work with her many years of starting to die to my ego. It was more energetic work. It wasn't this so theoretical around the psycho-spiritual process, like what I would say I do now, but it brought me immense healing. And then I started meditating and that was, I was 24 years old then. I was finishing law school and I started being, you know, lawyer. That was the game and that was the image that I had in my mind of this sexy, fast-paced lawyer living the life. And well, I started well, all with kids, right? Yeah, and that was what my mind was telling me. I thought I wanted and I thought I was. But yeah, it was still like, that's the voice, right? You think like you want these things. I remember I wanted to be a lawyer too because I was like, well, that makes me smart and I get to like wear elegant clothes and somehow that makes me somewhat superior, right? Because I go to an office. So whatever the story I was telling myself, right? There was a like um appearance component to it of the powerful woman. But there was also the component of social justice, because that's moved me all my life, like working for humanity and trying to find a way of how to be of service. And will that seem to be the system's path to be of service, at least for me, was like law school. Yeah. So, And then professionally, it was pretty challenging because I had to pop my idealism bubble, right? I wanted to do so much for Colombia and for humans. And and then I hit, well, I was working for the government. So I hit reality over like bureaucracy and corruption and the distortions of how society works, like the system. It was a clash against the system and my ideals of my heart and my spirit of wanting to create a new earth and work for humans. Well, it was being challenged. And by age 28, 
I had to make a choice if I wanted to keep on climbing this pyramid of success. And especially at the government level, it's really like a pyramid, you know, but most of us have that pyramid in our mind. It's a, it's the, like the socioeconomic pyramid. We all have it. And it's such a falsehood. There is no such thing. It's a, it's an ego construct, that pyramid. Even for people, when they reach out to me on Instagram, like, oh, you have so many followers, I bet you didn't have time to respond to me like a normal person. And I'm like, well, that's, that's just shows, right? What the pyramid is. But it's funny because I immediately can relate to a moment when you like decide that this is your path and you're four years in because you're 28, so, right, at this point. And I feel like a lot of people relate. I'm like, oh, if I change my path, it's going to mean that I made a mistake and I kind of like wasted my time. So they would rather continue. Continue. Yes. And it's a very challenging decision, especially because it's the beginning of the death of the ego. So... If we don't, if we don't understand this, there's a lot of resistance to doing it. And the ego mind is going to say, you'll never find a good job. You're going to die of hunger under a bridge. Or in, in the case of our relationship, you'll never find someone to love you, et cetera. So we stay in these situations that are not aligned to ourselves out of fear. And that is, I think if a person can understand that that is the doorway to their inner process, they would feel a bit more drive to make the decision, even if it's a hard one. Because most, I see most humans are trapped there. Like, I'm not happy in this marriage or I'm not happy in this job. But it's almost like they self-close the, the door that is there. The door is just say no and jump that something is going to open up for you. Like, for sure. But we're so connected to fear that it's like, no, I don't want to do it. But I, I had to like my goal. A lot of women put themselves in a very codependent situation, aka me for like at least... I mean, till up until this point in many different ways, right? But like financially or whatever it might be, because we just want to be this, you know, projection of a perfect wife or whatever. And then we completely lose ourselves in it. And then we get to a point where it really is a question of like, oh shit, it's really scary to like say no, because I I don't know how to live my life without being my own person. All I know is how to be. I don't even know that there is such thing as being my own person. I don't even know that the false self that is governing this vehicle is not my true nature. That is the whole thing. Like the crux of the dilemma of the spiritual awakening is that I don't even know that there was something underneath all that, you know, layers of identity. It wasn't even lawyer was one component of my identities and I had or and still have. I wouldn't say that I've dissolved all of them. I think this is a, a continual journey of dying and dying and dying and dying and dying. And that's ultimately what this is, dying to all these identities. Um, In 28, you decided to take a leap, which is scary. Well, life pushed me because, you know, I it's a decision. I felt very depressed. I had lots of suicidal ideation, which now I understand it's part of the beginning of ego death. And I would maybe if there is one message that I would love to convey to the world right now that we're at such a awakening crisis is that if somebody is having suicidal ideation, it's part of the awakening process because it's the end of a life, of the ego's life, and the beginning of the return to our true nature. So suicidal ideation is the system saying, yes, there is a death and there's a desire to die, but not to the body. Not it's to die to the ego and all its systems of action and behavior and processing and interpretation. So, and we but I didn't know this back then. Yeah, we called it no selfish, right? Like, oh, he's committed suicide. How selfish of them, right? And like we even stigmatize it even more. 
without understanding that it's just a, it's such a deeper level, right? Like it's 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 such yeah. a interesting social construct. Yes, and also psychological. There is when you start dying to ego, there's always the desire to die, and every layer of ego death, there's always the feeling of I can't do this anymore. Life sucks. This has no purpose. Like this human game is a shitty thing. Why am I here? It's part of the ego death. So I wouldn't say that it's a like I respect people who decide to commit suicide. I wouldn't ever say that they're being selfish or but at or, the same time. You also taught me that being selfish is good, right? So well, to an extent, right? The soul level, yeah. not from the ego level. Not being like selfish from the ego level is I want more for me and getting and wanting and being selfish from the soul level is listening to the soul and putting the soul's needs, our soul's needs, first, but for ourselves, not for somebody else. Because I also see this a lot in the spiritual path, which is. These are my needs and you should fulfill them, either asexual or emotional or, and I do not necessarily agree. I think that we are here to honor our soul's needs, but within us, and that is putting ourselves first. It doesn't mean I put myself first, so I want my partner to put me first. No, your partner also has a soul and, and he has to put himself first as well. And I think that if we all do this, well, the universe organizes in a beautiful way and the planet moves back to balance. Because right now we are demanding energy and attention from everyone. So we are not connected to source. When we're not connected to source, we're in a deficient state of energy. When we're in a deficient state of energy, we need to look for energy out there. So it's a consumptive energetic model, meaning we are consuming one another's energy, think, using the names of love, or community, or society, or creativity, but it's it's a sort of vampirism in a cloaked in the words of love. And I hate to be that crude, but we've got to see the truth. And then we feel depleted hanging out with people because we, you know, they take our energy or we overshare because out of a place of like, oh, I want to be liked, so I'm just gonna like overgive. So and nobody can take my energy if I'm not allowing it, or else we go back to victim. Oh, I'm not being aligned to myself, so I create a leak. If I create a leak, well, I end I think I, I like even in a way that like, without even people trying to get my energy, I give too much without people even asking out of like the trauma response of like, I really want to be liked. So I'm going to give extra energy so you like me more. So that, you know, core one of like, I'm not really lovable. So I'm just going to do it even without you asking. And then I feel depleted instead of asking myself, am I in a place to give, right? And if someone wants my energy, is that okay for me to, you know, to give that? Yeah, but we are taking other people's energy or allowing other people to take our energy because we're also taking other people's energy. So we have to look at our shadow yeah. or else it wouldn't be happening. Or And no, I'm taking your energy. Well, yeah, but if that is happening, then you're also taking somebody else's energy. So where do you do the work? Stop taking other people's energy. Yeah. And therefore, your energy body is going to be a strong, powerful aura that is protecting you. So, you know, the victim, victim consciousness can seek, seep in very easily into this. Okay. Um, so back to, back to being, you being 28. So I'll, I'll share the rest of the story. I entered a pretty rough, dark moment of not wanting to live and feeling like I had hit up the end. I, I had a strong passion for working for humanity and I couldn't find the way. And I had worked on many layers of the government for the mayor, for the president's office, for the connected to the president's office, for the minister of culture, for the negotiation of the free trade agreement with Colombia and the U.S. and Peru and Ecuador. 
So I had the chance to see dynamics and learn how the world was working. And then I had a, I did a consultancy for the UNDP, for for the mayor's office in Bogota. And so all these, you know, I, I feel that life was guiding me through all these experiences to crack and burn out and, and understand that my calling was not at the governmental level, that I was not here to work from government, that I was here to work something else that I had no clue at the moment. I only jumped. I remember in my journal, I, I drew a pyramid and I drew a trampoline coming out of the top layer of the pyramid. And I, and I, that was speaking about what I was going to do. And I put myself and I jumped to the void, to the nothing, to the waters full of crocodiles in my drawing of the, of jumping into the water. Like I'm, I decided consciously to jump off the trampoline and stop playing the pyramid game of competition and higher and lower and these jobs are better and these are less or you're more intelligent because you are up in the pyramid instead of lower in the pyramid. That is a total, and I'm going to use a terrible word, and this is, I know it's going to go public, but it's a mind fuck. The pyramid thing, because most of us are living based on that invisible pyramid. Yeah. So I decided to jump off, meaning I quit my job December 2007 and I booked a flight to India to do a teacher's training course in yoga. That was my my jump. I needed to start meditating deeper and I was already doing yoga by the time. So I felt that doing a teacher's training course was going to teach me more things that I needed to know. And it resonated deeply. I already had the call to understand the psychology of inner development. And I had started reading a lot of Zen Buddhism and Freud and, you know, pieces of things that I found, but not in a very conscious way or directed way. So I arrived to India. I do my teacher's training course. I travel for six months. Then I come back to Colombia. I have a consultancy going, uh, like like consultancy for NGOs, helping smaller NGOs become strong and empower small NGOs. I was always empowering the misfits or the... the and the, I had it to quit it all. And I sold everything on my furniture, everything that I had and my clothes, my suits, my high heels. And I packed a couple of jeans in a bag and I flew one-way ticket to San Francisco, California. Because in meditation, that started coming up a lot. Like San Francisco, San Francisco, San Francisco. And I felt that the people that were talking about consciousness and evolution were there in California. So I decided to just go. And after a year of traveling and crying, crying, dying, dying to my ego, feeling like I was a piece of crap. I remember going to downtown San Francisco and seeing all these you know, women in suits and I would have panic attacks. Like, that's what you should be doing. That's what you should be doing. And I, deep in my heart, I knew I couldn't go back to that life. But I had no new life opened up for me yet. It was just the void, the pure presence of having no clue who I was, what I wanted, especially after being so driven, right? That I knew what I wanted when I was so young. I love Uh, that you're saying this because I think number one question that I get from women is actually that, like, I hate my job. But I don't have a plan B, so I'm just going to stay there because they feel like as if they only will go from, you know, from one to another and they don't allow themselves space to discover what's there. And it's obviously the fuck is I'd say like the scariest thing on the planet when you think about it, because it really is like, where the fuck do I go? What do I, I don't even know what I want, what I like. I never ask myself truly what I truly, really want to do. And here is the answer. Jump into the void because you cannot know because... 
though the you that is wanting is covering up the deeper you that knows. So the only thing that you can do is jump into this void of the present moment and start listening to the guidance step by step that starts coming from a different place. But then you're, you have to shift the way you navigate reality because you're no longer navigating reality through the mind and the ego's strategic thinking, which is move from point A to B to C to D. It's hovering in nothingness and waiting for some guidance to come your way or some resonance, like going when clients reach this moment of their inner development, I normally invite them to go to a, a, a bookstore to start connecting reson vibrationally to the information that their true nature wants to start revealing. Like in my case, it was, well, I was, I thought I was going to be a lawyer forever. And that like spiritual psychology, like what? Like I would never have imagined that that even existed. But I was drawn to start to read these things. So the path or plan B or the or your our calling, it will never open up mentally like, oh, that's where I'm going to. It's just the next step. What do you feel like doing now? I want to go and read, I don't know, about astrophysics. Well, go. And that is the next step. It will not reveal itself up. Not even in my now. I had at point really aching me. Yeah. If you were sitting in Colombia being a lawyer, be like, I have no idea what I want to do. I'm just gonna keep doing it, which is okay. What most people do, including myself, for because they're just like, I don't know what's, what I'll stay. And I think it just it gets. To, this is a funny thing. I think there's this illusion that we can silence this voice inside. And I love the comparison that you've given me that once you pop a popcorn, you kind of like you know crack a shell like or heal it back. You're pop like you're forever be feeling like there is something more, there is something that doesn't resonate. And I think the biggest illusion that I had was like, oh, if I push through a little longer, I'll stop having those feelings, right? Like they will, they'll be quieter if I, you know, try harder at the lawyer thing and maybe just change it all, that's going to be it. And you realize I'm like, well, it's not going away. Like, and it just gets worse over time, right? And so like at 28 is loud at 35 it's super fucking loud and at 45 you feel extremely depressed full of anxiety attacks and you're like numb most people numb themselves because listening to that inner the existential dilemma of hey the life that we've been living does not make me happy is a very challenging shift we are convincing ourselves mentally that we are happy but it's still a mental game we're not dropping into the body to feel happy watching people like how their bodies like just the body language of whether they're happy or not it's not about changing career it's about change it's a massive overhaul of our operational system it's changing the way we think the way we perceive the way we relate to ourselves and to others so that is also normally people that come to me or or that working with me and they're wanting to move towards their purpose Adi, how do i move towards my purpose how do i discover my purpose Purpose is not a career change. A career change will happen as a consequence of aligning to my purpose. But it's not, okay, I'll stop being a banker and then I'm going to go and be a fisherman. Because your suffering dynamics are still embedded in you. So even if you're fishing, you're still going to suffer because you haven't dismantled what makes you suffer. Does that make sense? No. And so I mean, put so much pressure on finding the new job or a new, you know, a new avenue of... Of, of doing and sometimes it feels like oh that's where my happiness is because I was miserable in this job 
So if I change the job or change my career or like the city, obviously, I think it's really helpful because I think it's just puts you in there, like it just jars you out of your routine. So it does help you to like change some things like externally because you can, you, you face with a question like, oh, what do I do now? Like, wow, is that different? Right. And, and do I get to like do the same thing I was doing for 10 years? So do I like stop having coffee or whatever? Something as basic as that or start meditating because now I'm not my regular routine. And that gives me in a way permission to like become someone different, right? Because we're so married to our identity and our routines and whatever they might be, right? And connected to what you're saying, look at the phrase, what do I do now? The what do I do, do big do now means that the ego is always needing to do something because if I do nothing, if I just sit and meditate or do some things that I like, cookies or or banana bread or fish or clean the house or whatever, it means I'm a useful piece of crap that has no worth. So okay. we give so much value to this doing component from the ego lens that most of us are super afraid of doing nothing because doing nothing means the beginning will be a death of ego meaning that we're no longer directing the energy outwardly. Doing, if you think about it in energetic terms, doing is using my energy and taking it outwardly and I'm always being distracted, convinced that it's work or productivity or whatever it is, and then I'm doing the right thing. But what we want is that energy to come back into the body to pressure the unconscious outwardly so we can begin the process of cleanse so we can move towards who we really are or what we really are. So two things for me, I, I so relate, obviously, every day when I haven't done anything, what a waste of a day, right? Because I, just, I was just being like, what a waste. I'm slowly healing that. But I, for the longest time, I'm just like, I had this anxiety. I'm like, oh, I didn't do anything today. Like, what, what did I do, right? Like, it's like, it's such a waste of life. As if doing is like, gives value to my life. That's one. And second, whenever I share with my students, like, oh, this is feminine energy. This is masculine. Masculine is doing. Feminine is being. And women get so upset because they say like, well, how come men is doing and like achieving and women is being like, that's bullshit. That is, you know, such a... Um, you know, patriarch here in a way, because, you know, in a way as if do doing is better and being is somewhat superior. So feminine energy is somewhat superior because she's not doing, she's being. And it's kind of hard to even explain to people that something I'm still learning, which is... Yeah, but there is a false assumption in what you're sharing. And it means that masculine is man and feminine is women. And both of us have those two poles in the psyche. So you were the first person that actually helped me uncovered in a very different way because at the beginning I was like okay I'm feminine I need to be staying with my feminine energy but there was a part of me that loved building right I'm a generator I love building and I felt really about being in the masculine energy because I was like well I still want to build I don't want to rely on a man to do these things and then I realized then what it actually means and how we both should have both energies but the energy I understood as masculine was actually toxic masculine energy that I was embodying. So could you explain why we need to have verbal energies and why we don't want to be 100% feminine women, et cetera, et cetera? Well, we want to be 100% feminine women, but 100% feminine women are a balance of their inner masculine and feminine in sacred marriage or wholeness. So what we are doing now in this process, evolutionary process and what, well, you already know as a client, what you do in the work with me is be able to identify the distortions of the masculine and the feminine within our own psyche 
sometimes reflected back from our partners or external relationships in order to move these two components into balance because we are those two energies. It's not that we want them. We already are masculine and feminine energies in misalignment. So we want to move towards what Latins called hieros gamos, which is sacred marriage. And this is a concept that was used in alchemy, ancient alchemy, but it's the inner alchemy of the soul, which is the marriage of the masculine and the feminine within. What happens in the humans that we are today? We are hyper-masculinized. We've given too much power and importance to logic, reason, intelligence, thought, and we got disconnected from intuition, feeling, emotion, and that is our feminine pull. E energy, subtlety. So it's right. Like, oh my God, like you don't, yeah. Emotions are a weakness. Vulnerability is weakness, right? Be be cool, you know, just get shit done. So how, the your question, how do we balance them? Well, first we've got to reprogram the mind to stop living in separation consciousness. Separation consciousness the first layer of separation consciousness or the realm where it manifests is in my own body, in my own psyche. That is the first separation, which is the separation of my mind, my heart, or my soul. We want the marriage. How The second layer of separation with a partner or with outer reality. The third layer, and it doesn't mean that they're tiered or a time sequ sequence. This is all happening at the same time. I'm just trying to show you the different levels of manifestation of separation is me and totality. The moment I keep on claiming an I, a separate I, an ego, I'm separate from being the totality, the universal whole. Does that make sense? So separation consciousness is first and foremost, the separation, the fight. It's almost like the domestic fight that we have inside of us between masculine and feminine. So what do we need to do? Reprogram the mind to start bringing the mind back into the body. The mind decides where attention goes. Attention decides where energy flows. So mastering the mind means mastering where I, how I manage my energy. I want to bring my energy and my awareness back to how my feminine component is speaking, meaning my intuition, my body, my, my deep body, my, my subtle body. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we are asked to be to like as a woman, because it's mostly obviously we're women here. What like a healthy masculine within us would look like or how do we nurture and are already masculinized? I'm going to use your experience, yeah. which is your the mind governing you all the time and not giving yourself time to do nothing and to listen to your intuition or listening to our intuition, but not taking the action needed to follow through. What is a healthy masculine? The healthy masculine listens, listens. It's not the thinker and the guider of the captain of the boat. It leads, it gives the wheel of the boat to the heart, to the soul. The mind moves out and says, dear soul, I'm a technician. I'll make things happen because the mind is a great tool maker, map reader. You know, the, the, uh, we do not want to abandon the mind. The mind is an amazing tool. But the mind separate from the heart is misleading us in our path because the mind separate from the heart is a conditioned mind, a mind that can be conditioned and programmed, disconnected from universal truth and the soul's essence. So we need to re-stick back together the mind to the heart in order for that mind to be at the service. Masculine, the service of the feminine is not men at the service of women. 
It's the masculine component, the mind at the service of the soul's guidance. Because the soul needs the mind to do stuff in this realm. It's a builder, a manifester. So if I have this deep feeling, I don't know, I want to quit my job, for example, right? Like I, I've been doing something for a while and I had this deep feeling of doing my... But it just doesn't make sense to the mind, to the masculine, because it pays really well. You know, I've already committed 10 years of my career to this and I'm supporting my family and whatever it might be. So how do we... That mind will... Like, and mind is super convincing, right? It's all logical, right? And a lot of... It's just these things make sense. But then I have this feeling, what would be like the baby steps, right? Like not everybody is ready to jump off pyramid into crocodiles and whatnot. What would be like the baby, baby steps for us to really reconnect that and just give people or give myself like three to six months to just learn it, like how to listen to that voice and how to honor that voice. Well, I cannot teach you the how to listen because the voice is already there. It's just, it'll make you feel uncomfortable. It'll make you be irritable. It'll make you fight with your boyfriend. It'll make you hate your subway commute. It'll make you be critical and judgment and judgmental and bitter. Those are all manifestations of I'm not living my true life. So listen, it's very conspicuous. You know, it's not that buried. It's pretty risk. Yes, it's so on the surface. We just become cranky and pissed and everything bothers us. Well, you are not living aligned to your soul because when you, and it doesn't mean that you're not cranky and irritable when you're aligned to your soul. Of course you have hells of emotion coming out of your deep psyche but the listening starts moving you towards balance and the listening is not a one-time thing it's an ongoing process because we're dying and dying and dying and dying to ego so it's not a okay i quit my job then i i don't know go big bread in the himalayas no it's about the soul will start telling us it's almost like a flashlight you know it's it's pointing at what needs to be undone or untangled or healed or resolved in the deep psyche. So it can be a profession, it can be a relationship, it can be a sexual orientation, it can be a place where we live, it can be the relationship with our parents, it can be anything. Yeah. But how to listen? Well, I, it's impossible. I don't have the superpower to tell you how to listen. Just listen. <laughs> it's there. It's so funny because it's like when you live from that place, life seems exciting and it you aren't afraid of aging because it's like a computer game. You just next level and you just uncover another thing and it just keeps getting better. But I think when you live from a place of ego, I remember like thinking that, oh, because I was married before. So it's like, oh, I'm married. That's it. Like the big event is done. I finished school. I got a job. The one big event I have is kids and that's the end of my life. Like it's an illusion that it was like little checkbox that these are the things that would make me happy. I had to tick all of them and it was just like the end of the life after you're done all of, you know, at 31 when you finished having kids, you're like that you just basically wait to die. And now that I'm just like coming from a different place when you realize it is a computer, I'm like, oh, this is another level. Oh, this is like hidden like treasure. And you, you treat it in a very different way. You realize that like, oh, this is just getting started. This is only just getting better because more I uncover what's really exciting, it really helps me step into my power in a most, most beautiful way, right? Like I'm not reacting to society, to what people want me to be. I'm just finally starting to be myself after just acting in a way, which is also really tiring. Uh, the same, that's why people are constantly tired. But I love, love, love what you said about being cranky or grumpy or 
Because I, I can definitely see, like, when I'm not aligned, I pick fights and then blame other people that it's their fault, that they're annoying, that they had a right because we project. They're fully realizing, like, oh, sh- there's some work to do. And then clearly have a problem with everyone I meet, whether it's someone too slow at the post office or my boyfriend not doing this or that or my kids being too loud or my dog barking. It's so realizing, like, something's like, asking me to pay attention and so everything will annoy me and i'm going to rephrase what you're sharing to be like digestible to the audience the moment that i feel a negative quote negative because they're ultimately not negative or positive but like we'd like to call them that way a negative emotion when we live from ego we try to justify that emotion based on something that is happening in our immediate external environment right what you said my boyfriend didn't do this my kids are this my dog is this my work is this it's never about the outer world the outer world is just reflecting something back to you to feel it it's my feeling so i need to learn to stop projecting what you were the concept that you shared and making it about what other people did or not do and own my responsibility of my own emotions and that is a big chunk of this work so it literally just reminded me this morning, woke up and I just felt super anxious and like crying. And Jacob's like, why do you think that is? Is it because you have the interview of vagina or what is it? And I'm like, I, don't, I said to him, like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I, I don't have a good enough reason of why I'm like feeling that way. And he instead of he's like, okay, cool. Like, maybe there's just no reason for you feeling that way. Or like, you can't find one instead of trying to justify. And he said, do you want a solution? And find the reason, do you want a hug? And I'm like, I think I just want a hug and keep crying. It was like the most beautiful way that actually for me to, and not that I was waiting for it to go away, but what you're teaching me is like, the old me would be like, oh, get yourself together, go to the gym, like move, whatever. And this time I was just like sad. And I'm like, okay, I need to feel this. I need to feel this for it to actually go away instead of distracting myself or calling. But it's not to feel it to, for it to go away because that is little. I'm going to use the example that you're sharing about your personal life of this morning to go back to answer one of the questions that you made a a couple of minutes ago of the healthy and the unhealthy masculine or the feminine. The unhealthy masculine is a mind that does not want to feel pain or discomfort. So it wants to solve and fix or make it stop or run away from it or distract or numb. So that is the unhealthy masculine pull, which is, I don't want to feel this. What is the healthy attitude of the masculine? My heart is wanting to release something or my unconscious, and I'm going to be present with it without wanting to solve it, heal it, fix it, just feel it and let it move through me. And that is it. Because the desire to find fault or to find cause or to find why am I feeling this way is the disconnected masculine. That want, why do I want to find the cause? To stop it, to fix it, to change it so I don't have to feel the pain. So the reorientation of the masculine is, think of it as a beautiful man, masculine mind, holding space for the heart of a woman, just being present with her, her emotions, and letting her cry, not needing to do anything other than letting her move through the emotional wave. That is the reorienting of the masculine. Super healthy. Yeah. And so like, again, I won't fix it. So the only way for me to fix it is to feel it. Instead of like, no, this is just going to happen. And I think 
just like not rush like the last couple of weeks actually but today was like a perfect example when i had a busy morning and i was just like it's okay like i'm just not gonna do something i'm just gonna feel it instead of trying to like usually i would be like oh but there's x y and z or you know that i need to do or i would even find a reason to do something because i was just super uncomfortable and i don't like feeling now you're uncovering the hidden agendas of doing we think that it's about productivity it's not it's about running away from feeling so true right because if i sit still for long enough and i think that's a big reason why people don't like to meditate they're like a, they don't like failing. There's, the meditation feels like I'm doing it wrong. So there's something wrong with me, which is another feeling I'm not comfortable with. And second is, oh, well, I'm not being productive, right? Because I need to be doing something. There might be some negative emotions coming up. I don't want to feel them. So it's better just to be on the phone and, you know. Now you're catching your masculine in its stories, how the masculine is running away from the heart. And now you bring it back and you're like, no, no, no I'm not going to believe your stories. Come back and be present with what I'm experiencing at the body, physical body, emotional body level or, or subtle body. So that is, and you see that it's a hard task to reorient the mind and the masculine to be present with my current experience and not wanting to change it. So the spiritual path is ultimately simple. It's really confusing and challenging, but it's simple. It's to be present with what is. But to be present with what is takes a while because the mind is so used to running away from it. Especially there's a lot of energy moving out of the body instinctually, not because of the natural instinct, just habitually, not instinctually, habitually. The energy is projected outwardly. So we need to bring the energy back in to be able to be present with what we're experiencing, whatever it is. So if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, so what on earth Adrienne's doing? Is it psychotransmutation? Like, obviously I've never heard the word until getting to work with you. So what's the definition of what you do? Well, I'm going to share a little bit of the story behind the name or the concept. I did not want to put me as the forefront, even though, you know, it's my work, because I believe that we're in a very crucial time in humanity of lots of spiritual awakenings, but spiritual awakenings are mental health crises. They're not like, oh, God, and let's feathers and and ayahuasca or, you know, let's hug and let's incense. No, it's hard. It's feeling panic attacks and anxiety attacks and the mind not stopping and feeling that you can't control your life and feeling that you're dying. It's all part of the spiritual awakening process. So I wanted to convey the transmutational component because we are in an alchemical process. The process of spiritual awakening entails an internal alchemy. We're transforming denser metals, which are denser emotions, energy that are vibrating denser into higher frequencies, gold, and still using the alchemical analogy. So, and our body is this magnificent transmutational vehicle. So I wanted the concept transmutation because I think it encompasses the process, the process of coming into the body. We come from a spirituality that was a transcendental spirituality. The spiritualities that we've had on earth until now are transcendental, meaning God is up and out instead of down and in. So the transmutational component, I wanted to invite the down and in, come into the body. The more deeper and into the body I come and into the present moment, well, the more I'll transcend and expand my consciousness. But if I leave my body to connect to a God out there, I'm creating dissociation. I'm not integrated. So that's the part of transmutation. And the part of psycho, 
I believe in offering a new psychology, a psychology for the times. And I believe that the, and I respect psychologists and I, I'm sure I don't want put to put all psychologists in the same box. And, but I think that the generalized approach of psychiatry and psychology are not supportive of the evolutionary process, especially because they pathologize a lot of the symptoms of the transmutational journey. So if we pathologize and medicate symptoms of the awakening without understanding that they're part of the awakening, we're blocking the awakening and the birthing process of a new humanity, a new human, the real us. So I wanted the psycho be able to offer a new door of psychology and mental health. So not the story. It's like, I just had a friend, she, she basically hasn't been feeling, you know, a lot of panic attacks and whatever. And she went to a doctor and obviously he gave her what he thought she wants, which is the meds, right? Numbing meds. And I was like, there's a parting room, like, oh, like I, it's not, you know, I'm not there to fix other people, but there's a big part of like, you're finally feeling that your body's screaming, like, ah, like get me out of this bullshit, the system. And what do you do? You go to a doctor that the person that you grow up with, like trusting doctors, like, you know, trust whatever doctor says. And they're like, well, just numb that. You won't feel that pain, right? And, but then if you numb the pain, you can't feel true joy, which that's why people are just like these zombies. It hurts, but it's also part of that soul's journey. That soul needs to go and experience the numbing. Some clients come to me that have already been on meds. And feeling that they're so disconnected from life and from sexual energy and from feeling alive that they initiate the journey after the meds. So we don't want to judge the people that are that decide to take meds. It's part of the soul. Perfect unfolding. It's from one hand, it's like, I guess it's like having these conversations, showing the people that there is something out there that might resonate with them more. They just didn't even know existed, which I think me for like the longest time, like it's important to share the message. But from the other, it's really, really important to like not deny that person their journey and their ability to heal themselves instead of like, yeah. they're in like, I know exactly, what, you know. And that happen. is your calling and my calling, which is to show a door. We cannot push people through the door. We can only show the door and a door that we've like, I hit the end of the road of ego and I wanted to die, like full on die. And I was self-destroying. I had anorexia, I, you know, a challenging times, dark, dark, dark. But then by listening to this inner guidance, I was pointed at a door of you were born on this time on earth to go through a massive overhaul of your system. It's almost like changing the operation, the OS of a computer while it's still working. That's what's going on through in all of us. And it's challenging. It's not an easy process. It's a beautiful process. But it's challenging to die over and over to ego and to let go and let go and feel all these things in the body and in the emotional body. It hurts and in the mental body. So it's not an easy time, but we are in a beautiful death and rebirth at the collective level now. It's so great to like just remember that like if you're watching and you feel like, oh, there's this voice inside of me feeling there is something bigger and greater than me. I just don't know how to put it into words. But now I'm listening to it and then there's a level of me that truly resonates. So like, oh, this feels really true. I think it's what I would highly encourage people to like, you know, follow me on Instagram and just really just get curious of, you know. I, I want to give a name for people who are curious that don't know what's happening on Earth right now to oh, read yes. or search 
or and of course they're always welcome to come to me but the information is already out there at a massive scale sometimes they normally we're calling it ascension process or the spiritual awakening or the grand awakening there's a bit of a description of that on my website if people want to go to psychotransmutation.com but in general i really invite just google and look for the information because by not having the information we might feel that there's something wrong with me i'm depressed i'm like life doesn't feel appealing to me anymore i don't want to live anymore and that is normal within this process if we understand the process we'll see the door if we do not understand the process we feel that we just don't want to live anymore and it's very we don't want to live that life right that it's very true like we don't want to live that life we don't want to live that story anymore we do want to die to that story to that part of ourselves that was enjoying that and it's like a oh, cool like this is chapter two like we get to have multiple like at least two lives within one lifetime and at some level that's why i think we need to invite the conversation around suicide like let's take the you you-ness out of the suicide it's Let's talk about it because the suicidal ideation is part of the awakening process. I really want to highlight this because lots of people feel the thought of suicide or the impulse of suicide and immediately go and then they're a threat to themselves and to society and then they get institutionalized or they get into this system instead of understanding that they're, it's like where a seed starts cracking to start giving birth to the tree or to the Planned. I was suicidal for for months, like genuinely suicidal. And I remember I had the courage to share it with my then boyfriend. I was like, I really want to just, I don't really see the point of living. I want to kill myself. And he's like, don't ever say that out loud. And that was the end of the conversation. He's like, I hope you're joking. And it was the other, and I was like, oh, like I can't do it to. Like he's like, oh, you can't do it to your parents or me. And I remember thinking that it was just like it just creates even more stigma and like zero empathy of it. Oh. And it falls on a huge banana peel that all of us fall on, which is identification with thought. The whole game of spiritual awakening is to stop identifying with thought. We are not those thoughts. We are the awareness of thought. We are here in order to deactivate the mind. We need to separate ourselves from the thinking mind and observe the thoughts, but not act on them. If you feel like punching a lady in the supermarket, you will not act on it. You feel, you see the thoughts, you might feel the anger, but you don't go and punch the lady in the supermarket. I hope. The same thing with suicide, the same thing with everything. We are here to learn to mastermind. In order to mastermind, we've got to deconstruct the, how the mind has been working for thousands of years on the planet. How do we do that? We need to create a step to create a distance from the mind, which is the purpose of meditation. It's not to quiet the mind, it's to observe it and not act on it. It's, ah, I'm having this thought. Okay, I'm having the thought of death. It doesn't mean that that is my reality, that I have to act on the thought. I can choose to, but I can choose not to. And that I think that's really, really a very valid point that actually I'm still learning in so many ways, right? Like believing what I think, or I think my thoughts are me. So if I have that thought, that must be me and must be real because I wouldn't have that thought. Instead of like, thought are just like, part of the programming that we hear from other people good bad attractive what i think of myself and just like i don't want to believe that thought i want to choose thoughts that that feel truer right like come from like the source is there anything you would like to add i mean i feel we just like we're discussing the surface at the same time because it's like uh, i feel like the more i 
talk to you, the more I realize I have more questions because even what I could, what I've read in spiritual books and I share with you, you call me out over and over and over again, showing me the shadow of every single thing. And that is out there that I already think I got it right. I'm like, oh, cool. I was looking, I wasn't spiritual, then I got spiritual. I got it. I read in five books by famous people. So it's right. And then I talk to you and you're like, oh, yeah, what's the shadow of that? And I'm like, wait, there is a shadow to everything. And that is really ego crashing, but also very helpful on my journey. And I'm going to, you know, do a bit of psychotransmutation with you here live or freshly more if you want to. But the desire to be spiritual is a flaw, like a, a misalignment because it's still the ego wanting to be superior to others morally, intellectually, you know, or, or, or that I'm not spiritual to, to begin with. We are a spirit trying to embody in a body and have an experience of being in matter. So we that are, are that is what we are. Yeah. So that's what so I mean. desire to be spiritual. What are the shadows? Yeah. That's you know that I. Uh, all about dismantling the shadow and one of the shadows of spiritual path is the desire to be spiritual or seen as spiritual as morally or intellectually or ethically more or that I know more than you or what you you should be doing because I'm reading the Bible or the Quran or or the Course in Miracles or Edgar Tolle it doesn't really matter it's still the desire to position myself above somebody else that is still ego even if it's conceived or wrapped around all these narratives of love or spirit or you know whatever so we've got to be like become aware of that's exactly what i meant by you crashing me every time i'm trying, like i'm getting something right i'm like yep yeah, that's the ego aggie like actually just to be spiritual just be you this yeah, and, also, and also just realizing that i don't need to become anything to be worthy of love and for my life to be valid and for my life to be worthwhile right there's this illusion that i have to be doing something or become something to you know and it's actually i'm sorry that you are this or that yeah i asked in stories today what are you really afraid of i was like forget the spiders tell me the true like fear that you have and people were like oh just like that my life has no meaning like like i won't be remembered right or whatever it might be and part of this process is just to witness those, th- those thoughts, but do- not needing to do anything about it. Because sometimes then people think that the spiritual path is, okay, you see the thought and then you've got to do something to overcome the thought. No, just feel it. Feel the thought of the spider. F- feel the thought of, feel the fear of not being able to be a mother or just feel it. When you feel it, it gets deactivated. It's a paradox of the path. You don't have to do anything. If you do something, you're compensating the inability to feel the fear. You're doing something based on the fear, but the underlying energy is still the fear. Does that make sense? Thanks. Super healing as well. I just want to finish with that. That like it's okay, you're gonna go on forever. But what I want to say, it's like it happened for me today. I had a like really big, beautiful dreams, and this was about like me being a mom. And then someone came and like burst, and it turned out to be a balloon, not like pregnancy. And it was like, oh, I'll never be a mom. So like in a way, you know, our subconscious mind works in such beautiful ways and help us heal a lot of fears through dreaming, right? We can talk about it next time. Thank you so much for your help and for, for, for your knowledge and the way you share it and how passionate you're about it. It's, it's thank you. Even though sometimes it's not easy because, you know, I'm so used to like people just hearing, telling me what I want to hear and you're not one of these people. And it's really like, oh, 
all right, she's not very nice to me, but you are very kind to me. But I really appreciate that. And I think you just help giving me permission to stop being nice because I think nice is just a such a cover for like wanting to be like instead of just being who you caring about the other person, which is mm -hmm. beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank well, you for the invitation. Thank you so much.